Our text this morning is found in 2 John. We will be continuing our work through this letter. Today we'll be looking at verses 4 through 6. It can be found on page 1025 in the Bibles in the pews. Like last week, I'm going to read the entire letter because it is so brief again, but we'll be focusing this morning on verses 4 through 6. John's second letter. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Let us pray and ask the Lord's guidance and instruction as we seek to understand his word. Father God, we thank you again for this letter. Uh, a helpful and needed call reminding us that we are to be a people of love and a people of obedience and a people of truth. I pray that you would guide my lips by your spirit, that you would keep me from error. God, that your people, all of us, would be fed by your word this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it revives. And may it revive us even this morning, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Feel free to disagree, but hands down, Samwise Gamgee is the greatest character in all of fictional literature. There is no argument. We can have discussions afterwards. Feel free to come get me. I am so convinced of this, I even confessed it to Bethany on our first or our second date. Because as conversations about our favorite books naturally then led to our favorite fictional character, Samwise is my favorite. If you have any of doubts, do yourself a large favor and go read, don't go watch, the movies are good too, but go read J.R.R. Tolkien's infamous Lord of the Rings trilogy. Sam is lovable, he's loyal, he's brave, just, and good. He has all the qualities you would want in a friend, particularly a friend accompanying you on a world-saving quest. Samwise Gamgee is the picture of faithfully walking in obedience and love. What was he obedient to? The order given him to stay with Frodo. Don't, leave, don't you leave him, they say to me. And therefore, Frodo, I mean, Sam made an infamous vow to himself. Leave him, I said. I never mean to. I am going with him. If he climbs to the moon, and if any of these black riders try to stop him, 
They'll have Samwise Gamgee to reckon with, I said. Samwise walked in obedience to the command given him. What did he love? He loved Frodo, his master and his friend. His love is seen in all of the books, slowly developing as, as the story goes on, and it's most clear and passionate toward the end of the third book, The Return of the King, where he says, I'll get there, talking to Frodo, if I leave everything but my bones behind, and I'll carry Frodo myself if it breaks my back and my heart. Samwise walked in love. And it should be noted how Sam's love stirred his obedience to the command and also noted how Sam's obedience to the command deepened his love for Frodo. The two, obedience and love, were working side by side as Samwise faithfully walked alongside of Frodo. As we move into the body of John's second epistle, the apostle seeks to stress a cri this critical principle for the community of believers. For the church of Jesus Christ to walk faithfully as his people, they must love and obey. Contrary to public opinion, love and obedience are not mutually exclusive. One is not sacrificed for the sake of the other. The two work together in the lives of God's people. They inform one another. They motivate each other. For it is through love and obedience that the body of Christ remains faithful. It is because of these that she will be able to endure the evil one's attempts to destroy her through lies, false teachings, and discords that John addresses later on in this letter. So for us this morning, let us walk faithfully in love for one another and obedience to Christ. In verses 7 through 11, John is going to warn the body of of the deceivers and the dissenters who are seeking to destroy the church. They're bad news and they must be avoided. Again, we're going to look at these next week. But before getting to this warning, John provides a critical reminder about faithful walking in verses 4 through 6. He makes it clear that the, what the difference is between true believers and false believers, and it is the path that they are walking. The path that believers walk is the path of obedience and love. The outline is for you in your bulletin. Three points. A faithful church, a familiar call, and some further clarity. And through these, let us hear and heed again John's call to walk faithfully in love and obedience. John begins by confessing his delight for a faithful church in verse 4. John is immensely thankful as he considers this particular church at this particular time. Was she perfect? No. As we will see again next week, she needs correction. She needs instruction. Things at this church are not all great. And yet, John still cannot help but rejoice and rejoice exceedingly for her. We again see John's affection that we looked at last week shining through. He loves this lady, this church, deeply. And like any parent would be, her success affects him. And it leaves John with ample reason to praise the Lord for her. Why? Because she, the elect lady, has been faithful to her Lord. And how exactly has she been faithful? John seems to provide two reasons. 
One, it is reported that her children are walking in the truth. He says this in verse 4, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth. This church has been faithful to nurture and care for its covenant children. The children the Lord has provided to her. And these children have shown themselves to be in the faith by continuing in the truth. They have received it. They've embraced it. They've walked in accordance with it. Now commentators are split about the inclusion of the word some. Why does John say to find some of your children walking in the truth? Is he implying something? Had only a number of their children remained truthful? Did some fall away, possibly as a result of the dissenters and the deceivers? Some would say yes. Only a percentage continued on in the faith. John could have had more rejoicing if there had been more faithful children. Others argue that such an emphasis might be reading a little bit too much into John's wording. Because the letter nowhere else provides any details to suggest that some have fallen away. It seems, though, that John, when he says some, is speaking simply of those who he himself has encountered, who he himself has engaged with. These are the some that he thanks the Lord for. Without a doubt, he knows that there are probably some who have not remained faithful. It is likely that some have wandered, some have been deceived. He's writing this letter to warn them of wandering and deception. But regardless, John can still rejoice in the church's faithfulness to grow her children in the faith. Because he knows it doesn't happen by accident. While the Spirit certainly is the determining factor, this church has faithfully done her part. She has taught the truth. She has embodied the truth. She has loved it, defended it, and walked faithfully in it. And such faithfulness is a challenge for the church at large today, for us as well. Studies are showing that 59% of millennials, that's my generation, have left the church. Results of Generation Z, those born after 1999, they're harder to figure because most of them aren't growing up in Christian homes, but they aren't much more promising. And without getting into the many reasons why such a mass exodus, it is critical for us to continue to faithfully proclaim the truth to our children. First and foremost, this falls on parents. Are you faithfully walking in the truth before your children? Do they see your obedience? Are you reading the truth with them? Are you talking about the truth with them? Are you holding them accountable to the truth? This is your calling as their parents. Yes, pray for, rely upon the Spirit to work, because the Spirit alone is the one who will work saving faith in our children. But don't let that keep you from daily and honestly engaging your children with the truth. But this also calls for us as a church to be active as well. Upon every baptism that we do, the body vows to assist the parents in the Christian nurture of the child. We are to be as active in living and teaching and walking in the truth as the parents. We should not be keeping only to ourselves, to our families, and to our circles. 
We should be eager to engage the younger generations if we are the older. We should be daily praying for them. The truth should be flowing from us to them. Only then will we, like John, rejoice exceedingly when we see and hear by the power of God's Spirit how they are walking faithfully in the truth. And all of this sheds light also on John's second reasoning for praising this faithful church. The church and her children have been faithful to obey the commands of God. He says they've been walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. What command might John be referring to? It's hard to know for sure, but it certainly includes the command to train and nurture our children. Deuteronomy 6 and Ephesians 6 are two of the most obvious chapters in the Old and New Testaments, respectively, that reveal this command to us. But Jesus also, we know, gave a number of commands from the Father during his earthly ministry. John heard most of them, if not all of them, and he could be referring to any one of these. While all these are possible and certainly included, it seems that John is speaking simply of the command of obedience, of walking in the truth. The truth of God led the elect lady and her children to obedience, not simply mere assent or agreement with the truth. John is painting it pretty simple. A faithful church is an obedient church. A faithful church does not pick and choose which commands it wants to follow. It does not dissect God's word into what it deems most palatable, what it deems most agreeable. Instead, it receives and proclaims and walks in the truth as it is fully revealed in Scripture. This will certainly cause us to be disliked, unpopular, even ridiculed. It will not be applauded by the powers and the forces of this world. But regardless, may we be such a church that is obedient to commandments, faithful to our Lord and Savior as we obey Him, and let us also then rejoice in other churches who do the same. Pray for them. Be encouraged by them. Join with them. And it is out of this genuine joy that John has for this faithful church that he then makes this very familiar call in verse 5. John calls the church to love as Christ has commanded. He says, And now I ask of you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is one of the ways the church will be able to withstand the deceivers and the false teachers. Their fruit will always be dissension. It will never produce genuine love within the body. It can't. Brotherly love and affection will prevent division. It will seek out and rejoice in the truth, as Paul declares in 1 Corinthians 13. And notice how John isn't seeking to add anything new for this church to do. He's not giving them a new task to accomplish. He's not giving them something new to tackle. He's simply calling her to continue to do what she's been commanded to do and what she has faithfully been doing. And this command is ancient. It is from the beginning. The beginning certainly goes back all the way to the law. Jim read it for us earlier in Leviticus 19, where the people of God are called to love their neighbor, to love one another. And it gave a whole list of ways that our love for each other shows itself. 
in not stealing, in caring for one another, in upholding one another. However, throughout John's letter, when he says, both his letters, well, all three of his letters, when he says from the beginning, which he says ten times, he typically refers to Jesus Christ and the gospel. John simply repeats the commands that Jesus gave his disciples as he's preparing them for his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. And John himself records two of them in his gospel. In John 13, 34, and 35, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And again in John 15, 12, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And before we might be led to wonder if it was John alone who stood on this island of the commandment to love, Peter and Paul both emphasize such a command within the body of Christ. Peter tells the scattered church to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Paul, while he commends the church in Thessalonica, also reminds them, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. And he tells the church in Rome, love one another with brotherly affection. The command to love is as old as the gospel itself. It is what Jesus commanded us to do. It is what he promised his disciples would be known for. We cannot plead ignorance. We cannot claim to have missed the Sunday where love was taught. Because the gospel reveals the love that God has for his people. It is the love that sent Christ as the atoning sacrifice for their sin. And as equal and full recipients of such love, it is only right that God's people should then love one another. Are you and I eager to follow this familiar command? Do we accept it as the command given us by our Savior and our head? Obviously, we are called to show love to all people. That is not being negated here. But in this context, John is specifically aiming at the love the body of Christ has for each other. And while it isn't a new command, if we're being honest, it is not an easy command. Loving one another is not our default position. There are differences of opinion, interests, convictions... And then you throw sin in the mix, and love gets even harder. Sometimes tolerate is the easier and more desirable command. And unfortunately for us, the command is not to tolerate one another. It is to love one another. It is the command because it is also the example that's been set for us. One commentator defines the love John reminds believers of in the following way. It is not an involuntary, uncontrollable passion, but unselfish service undertaken by deliberate choice. And by writing this letter, John is embodying this love. It is his love that motivates him to encourage the church, to instruct her, to warn her. At the end of the letter, he even confesses that he's willing and eager to meet her despite the risk that it would cause to him. And this kind of love is not driven by emotions or feelings. It is not fueled by simple common interests or passions. It goes much deeper. 
as we looked at last week, it is fueled by the truth. The way to love one another is shown perfectly to us by Jesus Christ, our faithful head. Jesus confessed as much in those passages that I read from John's gospel. Love as I have loved you. Because it was out of his love for his bride that Jesus took on flesh and suffered and bled and died. The table before us is a picture of the tangible love, is a tangible picture of the deep love that Christ has for his church. And it is also a reminder of the command that we have to love one another. And praise God that we are not left to ourselves. The Spirit is the one who enables us to obey this age-old command. He provides us the grace we need, even as this table shows us. But we must also be actively pursuing love for each other. We must actively pursue unselfish service. And again, this is not easy. We live in a dog-eat-dog world. Love is only reserved for those people you like, or maybe those who can help you make it, wherever it is you're trying to make. And even then, love is not really all that sacrificial or costly. But the love that God people have, God's people have for one another is sacrificial. It is thinking of other people as more important than ourselves. It is putting the needs of one another before our own. Let us seek to love one another like this. And let us seek to follow this age-old and familiar command. And while he could have stopped there, John provides also some further clarity on both our love and our obedience in verse 6. He defines each in relation to the other. He teaches how the two are intimately linked. They go hand in hand. In fact, the relationship between love and obedience is reciprocal. Love expresses itself through obedience, and obedience is proven by love. You cannot have one without the other. He says, and this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. Our love means obedience to the commandments. Obedience means love for both God and for one another. Again, this would not have surprised John's readers, and it shouldn't surprise us. Jesus declared in John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And again, just a few verses later, he says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Those who belong to Jesus Christ show their love for him by their obedience. Contrary to what many believe, both in and out of the church, our love for Christ cannot be divorced from our obedience to him. We can't say, I love Christ, while refusing to submit and to obey, to, to obey him. If you love Christ, then you will obey him. You will listen to and receive and walk in the truth as it is revealed in his commandments, in his word. And you will do so willingly and with joy. We will be able to say with the psalmist that I find delight in your commandments, which I love. But how then does our love for Christ also mean love for one another? Because love for Christ means obedience to the command to love one another. It's a circular argument. 
Verse 5 has reminded the church of this command. Love means obedience, and obedience means love. And John has declared this with greater clarity in his first letter when he says, By this we know that we love the children of God. How do we know if we love one another? How do we know if our love for each other is evident? It is when we love God and obey his commandments. And this makes sense based on the summary of the Old Testament law, which is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. As we seek to obey the former, loving God with all our heart, soul, and mind, we will also obey the latter, loving our neighbor as ourselves. As we demonstrate our love for Christ by obedience to his commandments, we will demonstrate our love for his people. Our love for Christ will flow out of our obedience in regards to things like worship and allegiance to him and commitment to truth. But that obedience will also fixate on how we relate and engage to one another. As we obey the commands of Christ, we will find ourselves seeking to comfort one another in those times of loss, in those times of grief, in those times of sorrow. We will find ourselves encouraging one another as the body, encouraging one another towards maturity, encouraging one another towards holding fast to the truth. We will obey the command to teach one another, to instruct one another, even to rebuke and train and correct each other in sin. For when we confront one another about our sin, we are even showing the love of Christ through our obedience. Matthew Henry in his famous commentary states the following, Universal obedience is the proof of the goodness and sincerity of Christian virtues. And those that aim at all Christian obedience will be sure to attend Christian love. If we seek to be a more loving church, we should seek greater obedience. And if we commit to faithful obedience to Christ's commands, our love for him and for each other will be clearly evident to each other and to a world that is watching. And this brings us then to John's conclusion to the first half of this letter, which is a call to faithful walking. He closes in verse 6, so that you should walk in it. Now, it could refer to love, to obedience, or even to both. There's a logical choice to be made for, for each of them. But as John has shown, the two are so intricately connected that walking in love will mean walking in obedience. And walking in obedience will mean walking in love. So he's calling the church, he is calling us to walk in obedience and love and as we saw in verse 4, to walk in truth. Together, these three form a kind of litmus test for all those who claim to follow Jesus Christ. He's not elevating one over the other. He's not putting one aside. Walking in truth demands a demonstration of love and active obedience. Walking in love flows from an understanding of the truth and a desire to obey it. And walking in obedience aligns ourselves with the truth and will be seen in love for God and for others. So what are you walking in? What paths are you faithfully following? We live in a time where the, the definitions of love, of obedience and truth are contrary to what scripture says. Love is centered upon self. Truth is subjective. Obedience is seen as a hindrance to happiness and joy. 
And I'll confess to you, at any given moment, I have been guilty of walking in such ways. My love, whether it's for my family, you as my church family, is sometimes and more often based out of what I can get out of you than simply to love you as Christ has called me to. There are times when I live as though the truth has no bearing on my everyday life. And then there are times where I just blatantly disobey, disobey because I believe there is joy to be found outside of the commandments of God. But John has provided us the path to walk in. It is the path Jesus Christ has walked in perfect faithfulness on our behalf. It is a difficult path for sure, but it is the only path where life and joy and health for us as individuals and health and joy for us as a church are found. And it is the path of love, obedience, and truth. Let us walk in it. This brings us back then to my favorite character, Samwise Gamgee. It is my belief again that, that Samwise is the greatest factor to Frodo's success of his quest. It was his love and his devotion that carried Frodo, literally at times. Samwise obeyed the command he was given, and it fueled then his love for his master and his friend. And it was his love that gave him strength to obey even when it was most difficult and seemingly impossible. We, however, are not hobbits on a world-saving quest. However, the Bible says that we are strangers and aliens on our way toward our heavenly and eternal home. And as the body of Christ, we are dependent upon one another. We need one another to help us individually and collectively endure and persevere. We cannot do it on our own, and neither should we seek to. But the key is not a secret, it's not something magical. The key to faithfully walking is to walking the path of obedience and love. Love for God and love for others, obedience to the commands that God has given us, to love him and love one another. This is what unites us. This is what strengthens us. This is what will enable us to endure. So brothers and sisters, let us faithfully walk in love for one another and obedience to Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Father God, you have called us to yourself as a body. You have brought us together from all different nations, tribes, and languages, and tongues. And it is by your spirit that we are united in Christ. God, that is a great truth that we praise you for daily. But we also confess that we are not always filled with love for one another. That we are not always obedient to that command as well as all your other commands. Would you help us, Lord Jesus, by your spirit? May we be a church that loves one another deeply out of self-sacrificial service. And may we be faithful to obey you in all things. May you find us faithful as we endure. And Lord Jesus, may you come quickly. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.